0: Lord, we give you thanks that you sent your son, Jesus. We thank you that he lived and died and rose again for us. We thank you that your word is now powerful, that as he speaks, as you speak, uh, you can shape us and you can change us and transform us. And Lord, we pray that you will send your spirit among us, help us to see who you are truly, um, help us to be transformed uh, by the vision of who you are. Uh, Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For those of you who don't know this about me, I'm sorry if you've heard this um, many times from me, but this is a a bit of a surprising fact about myself. I find um, that it's surprising for me as well, but I used to wrestle in high school. I wrestled for four years. and uh, wrestling is a tough sport for many different reasons, but one of the reasons why it's tough is because you have to control your weight. You have to lose your weight, and if you can remember, uh, if you can imagine, I was uh, in, uh, when I was uh, 14, I was 119 pounds. That's I think uh, 54 kilograms or something like that, um, and. Uh, uh, 119, I naturally weighed about 125, and so I needed to wait uh, I lose a bit of weight, um, before each meet. Um, and, uh, b- Modern people don't really know what it's like to be thirsty, but if you wrestle, you probably know what it's like to be thirsty. Your your tongue sticks to your mouth, and your mouth gets all dry and foamy, and you go around and longing to drink something. And I remember just because I was so thirsty, I would go to the, uh, the uh, uh, water fountain and just wet my mouth a little bit and spit it out just to get a little bit of that relief. And I didn't talk very much because, you know, as you talk, the moisture comes out of your mouth and I wanted to preserve as much moisture as possible. So, um, it's, it's difficult to speak as, um, when, when one is thirsty, but Jesus, um, Jesus must have been thirsty on the cross. But he says three things, three things in the Gospel of John. And we're going to focus on those three things. The first, he said, a thing that he says. Well, one of the things that he says on the cross is that he is thirsty. In verse twenty-eight, he must have been in shock. Think about that: um, having lost lots of water and blood in the scourging, and then the nailing, he they made him carry his own cross from um, the place of his judgment all the way to Golgotha, and he had been hanging under under the midday sun for hours with no relief. But John isn't, John doesn't cite the physical reasons why he was thirsty. He's, that's not the reason he gives uh, for this. In verse 28, he writes, later, knowing that, knowing that everything had been, had now been finished, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. It's so that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said he was thirsty. Which scripture is he talking about? Is he talking about, it could be Psalm 22. 14 through 15, I think it's coming out. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Of course, John quotes uh, from Psalm 22 later uh, before, in verse 24, uh, about the division of his clothing. And Psalm 22 is significant for another reason, because Psalm 22 starts out with that famous line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, which other gospels quote. So Psalm 22 was certainly on Jesus' mind, and it might be that he's speaking. He identifies so well with Psalm 22 that he's speaking from Psalm 22, but I think there's deeper meaning than that. In fact, Gospel of John takes a simple message like that and then goes in deeper and deeper. And I think that is true here as well. So think now about who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Why and why it must have been so significant that he says he is thirsty. Back in chapter 7, at the Feast of Tabernacle, remember Jesus stood in the temple ground and he says, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. John chapter 7, 37 to um, 38. And think about that. That wasn't, that's an astounding claim to say that he is the stream of living water. And remember, he's standing in the middle of the temple ground, temple ground, and he says he is living water that flows out and whoever drinks from him will never thirst. In fact, those people will become streams of living waters themselves. And those who know the Old Testament would have, something would have rang um, in their mind. Jesus is alluding to a prophecy from Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 47, where Ezekiel saw a vision of water coming out of the temple towards the east. East is important because it symbolizes the, the part of the world that's cursed, the world that is cursed. As Adam and Eve were banished to the east side of Eden, so the river flows from a uh, temple to what has been cursed, and it goes into the Jordan River all the way down to uh, the Dead Sea. And Dead Sea in uh, Ezekiel 47, he says, when the, this water meets Dead Sea, the Dead Sea will spring to life again; it will become fresh water again. And it, uh, Ezekiel then talks about how the the, the uh, uh, fish and living things will 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 teem with life in that dead. Uh, in it, 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 the Dead Sea will teem with life and, and how uh, the, um, the trees will grow around this river and, and the leaves of, of these trees will, will heal the nations. That's Ezekiel. And Jesus, once again, chapter 7, uh, says, he is that living water. And John actually makes that very clear in his another book, Revelation, all the way in the end, Revelation 22, 1 and 2. He writes, The angel showed me the river of the water of life as crystal, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down, in the, down the middle of the great, great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healings of the nations, healing of the nations. Once again, John is taking that vision and he says, That's Jesus. It says the stream of water will flow from the throne of God and of the Lamb of Jesus. And that will bring end to the curse, that will bring life, that will bring healing to the nations. And do you see why then it's so significant John uh, records that Jesus is thirsty. This is remarkable because the life-giving being life-giving stream of water is now thirsty. Jesus, from whom all thirsty people are supposed to drink, is now thirsty. He's thirsty because the living water is being poured out upon the people, upon uh, to, to to the world, on the cross. And once again, if you turn uh, your Bibles to chapter 19, John chapter 19, verse 34, this is right, what he writes there. Remember this scene when they want to make sure that Jesus is uh, is dead. The soldier. Um, pierces Jesus on the side, and in John chapter 19, verse 34, John John writes, Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. You see, that's the place where the living water, the life-giving water, starts flowing out. Jesus is the source of that river, and as he is pierced, The water flows out to give life to the people around. The river of life flows from Jesus. The river of life flows from Christ to all the cursed things so that they might have life, so the nations would receive their healing. And that's what that means. So the scripture is fulfilled. Jesus becomes thirsty. He becomes poured out so that we might have life. And there's one more person who was thirsty in Gospel of John. And it's in chapter, John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. She had five different husbands and was living with her boyfriend when she met with Jesus. She was thirsty. She was longing and striving for things that she couldn't satisfy. She was addicted maybe to love. She was going to have one relationship after another relationship so that uh, she, would, she would satisfy that longing and striving. And to her, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water, this water, will, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him the spring of water welling up to eternal life. She didn't know, but what Jesus was saying was that it's him that she was looking for. She was looking for God. She was looking to be in relationship with God and that only he could restore, he could quench that thirst And she was trying to quench quench that thirst through many things. Through relationship, as we do with money, or status, or sex, and children, alcohol, even our self-righteousness. They all find their true satisfaction, only satisfaction in Jesus Christ, in the restored relationship with God. But you see, in order for us to have that relationship with God, in order for us to have that life, Jesus was poured out. He became thirsty. And when he's poured out, when he's all poured out, when his work is done, he bows his head and he says, it is finished. The work that he has done, uh, the work that he has uh, has come to do is finished. He doesn't say that he's finished. He says, it is finished. Um, Jesus was, once again, a man on a mission. We know that because God the Father and Jesus had been in control over every element of his life, but every element of this narrative, of this passion narrative as well, everything was under God's control. It's not that Jesus is a victim. Jesus goes to the cross willingly and according to uh, his Father's will. For example, think about the exchange in verses 19 through 22. The gospel, other gospels record the title, Jesus the king of the jews but john is the only one that records this conversation between pilate and the jews um the 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 jews say don't don't write the king of the jews uh, write he said that he was the king of the jews and pilate says no um it is uh, as it is written and the message is clear Pilate is like caiaphas caiaphas who unwittingly prophesied remember that one man should die for the entire nation Pilate also doesn't know why he's doing this. He doesn't really know what's happening, but he unwittingly proclaims Jesus as the king of the Jews. He crowns Jesus as king, not in just one language, but in multiple languages, so all people may know that he is the king. God is in control, John is saying here. But also, think about why John might record, in all those words words in verses 20 through 23 and 24 to record the fulfillment of the prophecy in psalm 20 to 18 they divided up the garment garments among them and cast lots for my clothing remember once again all other gospels record i think what's more significant saying of gospel uh, of psalm 22 my god my god why have you forsaken me when the second person of the trinity feels the separation from god the father but that's not what john records John records this one. This one, they divided up the garments and they cast lot for the undergarment. Why is it that John records this one? I think it's because John wants to say that it's not just the big things, even the trivial things, even the thing that's just happening, people dividing up clothes, people being greedy and trying to grab something from Jesus. Even that had been prophesied a thousand years ago. That even that had been part of God's mission. God had a plan for this whole thing and none of it is an accident. It is happening under God's control. And as we saw, Jesus says, I am thirsty to fulfill that prophecy. But when also the mission is finished, he gives up his spirit in verse 30. Did you notice that he gives up his spirit? He's not killed. He doesn't just die. He gives up. His spirit, exactly as what he said in John chapter 10. No one takes my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. No one takes Jesus' life unless he gives it. And when the mission is finished, he gives his spirit. He gives his spirit. So when he says, it is finished, it's not a cry of defeat, as the song that we we're about to sing in the power of the cross, it's a cry of victory. Jesus gives up his spirit as, because the mission is accomplished according to his plan. And lest we forget what this mission was, let's just once again think about what this mission actually was. What the crucifixion was like. Ancient literature tells us that crucifixion was death reserved for the worst of people, lowest classes, slaves and foreigners he carried his own, he was scourged and he carried his own cross um and uh with his arms stretched out up upon the beams and those nails were driven through his wrists so he would be held um as he was hoisted up and the nailing it's important to remember that the nailing isn't supposed to kill the criminal and uh, because that would have been too easy they were left on the cross to suffer they were there, they were to die by hemorrhaging internal bleeding that happens or um, asphyxias as, as, as people can't uh, lift themselves up to breathe by suffocation, dehydration, organ failure, and shock. They were then left to die on the cross as a warning against other possible criminals. And Josephus, the first century historian, who watched many crucifixions during Titus' conquest of Jerusalem in year 70, referred to this uh, crucifixion as the most wretched of deaths. So it is finished. What is finished? Many things, but I want to focus on one thing that's actually alluded here in this text. He died to take away our sins as the Passover lamb. Remember how all this is taking place during the feast of Passover, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, there are thousands of Jewish people are gathered here in, in Jerusalem because they came to celebrate the Passover. And Passover is one that celebrates the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, the greatest of deliverance that, that, that the Israel has known. And the final and most terrible plague that delivered Israel out of Egypt was the death of the firstborn. The angel of death came and took away the life of all the firstborn, including animals and men, but passed over the houses that had the blood of the lamb on it. So they killed, they were instructed to kill a young lamb, take a hyssop plant, dip it, soak it in the blood, and post it on the, on the doorposts so that the angels could pass over those houses that had the blood of the lamb. Do you see The day of uh, Jesus' death was the day of the preparation for the Passover when all the lambs in Jerusalem were being killed so that they could celebrate God's deliverance, God's salvation. And when other lambs are being killed, remember, it's also only in the Gospel of John, um, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Remember in chapter 1, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When all other lambs are being killed, Jesus too is, is killed on the cross to bring a salvation much greater than Exodus. And just to make that clear, John puts one more detail in this story in verse 29. They put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus. And according to Exodus twelve twenty two, hyssop plant was what was used to dip the blood, to use to be used to um, post the blood, brush the blood uh, uh, um, uh, on the doorposts. So salvation is accomplished in Jesus Christ. His blood was dipped over us, so that God's just and righteous. Wrath and punishment might pass over us. And when that is done, Jesus cries out, It is finished. It is finished. It was done. Our salvation was accomplished on the cross. And this is hard to believe. You think you know that you, you believe this, but this is really hard to believe. This is, this is, um, something that really takes in all our, uh, all of our life to really learn because we don't, we say we believe this, but we try so hard to earn our salvation in so many different ways. Think of, um, uh, ways that we do this. Um, we think a lot of times of our salvation as a second chance, as if God had given us a second chance, a clean slate. But we think that it matters so much that we live the righteous life now, right? Um, because God has given us a second chance. But that's not, the, that's not the salvation that God has given us. Jesus says, it is finished. He died so that his righteousness might be ours. He's not. He, he didn't die to give us a second chance. He, he died to give us what he deserved, which is his righteousness, His mission doesn't depend on how well you finish it. It is finished. Others of us don't believe that salvation is complete because we continue to feel inferior and and sinful, and so we beat ourselves up. We need to remember that Christ was beaten for us. He was mocked already. He was crowned with the crown of thorns already. He was spat upon. He took our shame upon that cross. He was nailed on the cross already once and for all. He died for us already so that we could have the righteousness that he deserved, he earned. We are righteous because of Christ. We are righteous because of Christ. And some of us don't believe that mission is finished because we think that we are already good, that we don't need Jesus' salvation. Some of us are filled with self-righteousness. If I'm honest, I'm often in this category. I many times don't believe that I need Jesus because my life is better than most of the people sitting in that section. He reveals to us how great the extent of our rebellion is on the cross. We are sinners, and he died for us. And that mission is finished. I've said this before. Last year, I remember saying, Buddha dies by saying, continue to strive. Continue to strive. That's not Jesus' last words. Jesus' last words are, it is finished. And so that at the foot of the cross, our new life begins. We become fulfilled people, people whose longing and thirst is satisfied. We become forgiven people, and we become also loving people as a result, people who are capable of loving one another at a great cost. We see this in verse 26, when Jesus says to his mother and to his beloved beloved disciple, Woman, here is your son. Here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. It's amazing to think that Jesus was thinking of others as he dies on the cross, isn't it? Mary was probably a widow by then because Joseph is not mentioned since the birth narrative. And the widows had no means of supporting themselves in that culture. So they depended on the family or possibility of remarriage. So Jesus thinks of his mother. But to whom he entrusts his mother is surprising because Jesus had other family members, he had brothers and sisters. Why doesn't he entrust Mary to other brothers and sisters? Why does he say to the beloved disciple, Behold your mother. Once again, I preached on this about a month ago. This points to the fact that our family life has changed. A new community has has been formed. The kingdom of God has come. And how we... uh, um, Jesus' brothers and, 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 and sisters, he, uh, his brothers and sisters weren't Christians. They weren't believers. So th- he, he looks at his beloved disciple, who was at the cross, and says, Look, now this is your family. Your family is changing now. You, the, as I, uh, as I, I love saying, uh, uh, the water, baptismal water, is thicker than blood. Baptismal water is thicker than blood. Our life has changed. Our community has changed. How we look at our family has changed. Whoever does the will of God becomes our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. The church becomes the basic unit of society where strangers become a family. The church is then the place where we show that our water is thicker than blood. And obviously... There is a tremendous cost in this. Cost for John to take in Mary as his mother. Our being a Christian, our being baptized should affect our money, how we spend our money. Because it makes us responsible for each other. You know, if you've taken guests in, hospitality is expensive. Hospitality, having guests in your family in your home for an extended period of time isn't expensive. Having a family member is much more expensive, isn't that why people limit their children to two or three or something? Because they don't. Having this is we become. This is family now, and there is a cost in sharing life with one another. But you see, in order for God to make space for us, in order for God to allow us to be His family, He paid that great cost. Jesus dies on the cross to make space for us, to make us. And and hospitality, entertaining strangers, becoming family has a tremendous cost. But we become a family who are capable of burdening this cost because of what Jesus has done, because we receive that love. We receive the story of Jesus Christ into our life. After Easter, um, we will actually go through a sermon series on First John, which is really all about living as Christian community. So we'll flesh this out more um, after Easter. But uh, uh, suffice to, s- to say that our, at the cross, our life is changed. Not just life as an individual, life as a person who strives for longing, who um, strives for forgiveness, but life as a community together. Kingdom of God has been breaking in since then. And people of God have been springing up all over the world to let the world know that King has arrived. And we need to show that in the way that we love one another. I am thirsty. Christ has been poured out so that we may have life. It is finished. The work is done completely. And that victory cry gives us the assurance of salvation. Behold your mother. Behold your son. Let us then become a community that models this new way of living. Let us become a people who are capable of loving one another as Christ has loved us.